0: Everyone and welcome to the Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar: The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. I'm Colin, your main host. We're back, and I'm joined by Susan. Hello, hi, um, friends, listeners, folks. Um, I am no longer working overnights. <laughs> I now have a real life again. <laughs> Can we all clap? Because
1: that means that Colin can actually answer my text messages when I'm messaging him like a million times a day, going, Have you seen the latest Avatar news? Are you even paying attention to my text messages anymore? Colin, are you dead or alive? Please answer. (laughs) No joke. Seriously. I sent him that message and he got back to me like a month later.
0: The thing is I am on a normal schedule again. And, uh, as I kind of acclimate to my new job, um, we're hopefully going to be getting things a little bit more back on a regular schedule because my life is back on a regular schedule. So, um, guys, we're back this week. We're talking about season two, book two, episode 11, of the Legend of Korra, Night of a Thousand Stars. I know what
1: most of you are thinking is that, did we ever make it through book two? like <laughs> we ever make, like,
0: we're, we're creeping along. We're creeping along. We're almost there, guys. We're so close to the end of book two.
1: <laughs> crawling, creeping, inching. I'm pretty sure inchworms and slugs have fastest <laughs> snow. But but to be fair, at least we're going to we're going to talk a lot about it cuz this is one of my yes. favorites. Like Yes, absolutely. Book 2 was a weird season for me and I was I was always not totally 100% with it, but I will say that this is one of those episodes where it hits a lot of great moments.
0: Mhm. Yep, absolutely. Um, but before we dive into the episode itself, um, we have been gone for a little bit. And that means that there's been a lot of news. So we're going to take just a little time here to talk about some of the latest Avatar and Korra news. Um, So first and foremost, guys, uh, big news in the podcast world. Guys, we are getting a whole podcast dedicated to reviewing Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra from none other than Dante Bosco. And Janet Varney, aka the voices of Zuko and Korra. <laughs> that was literally oh my me. Yes. The day it
1: announced, and the I, I, I'm, 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 I'll say I'm skeptic a little bit about like the what the content's going to be because it's only covering Avatar: or Last Airbender, and you sort of do wish it went into Korra a little bit since they did Janet Varney. Oh, they are. I didn't know yeah, if that yeah, was yeah. confirmed. They, they I knew so- they were going to do Avatar: or Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. okay well that makes me a little happier but i think the other part of this is there's <laughs> so many podcasts that have and us included i mean this is our second round of going through it but we learn a lot of different things every time we look at it and as we've gotten years away from it i guess mm. um but i kind of i i i have faith that it's going to be really interesting to hear from their perspective as they were the ones in the recording studios but i think it's going to be really and this is where i hope this is kind of something i hope they do is that because she is the later avatar, like she'll make really interesting introspect connections between that series and Korra, that maybe as viewers we're not privy to because we don't see the casting side notes on like the sheets of like introspect that she gets maybe when yeah. she's recording. Because again, I imagine they have to give her some some stuff to think about as she's getting into the character. And then I hope that we get some like side stuff from like him on his side from Zuko, but also looking at it forward to seeing his grandson (laughs) general (laughs) iron and then playing general iron like i i kind of hope that we get a lot of that so i mean i'm i'm optimistic but i understand being cautiously optimistic in hopes that it's good but i'll be not yeah i i love both of them i think they're both amazing actors and i love their work and i'm I'm, that's partly why I'm excited is because if you're going to have two people do a podcast about this, those are the two that have always been very positive about the fandom. They've been mm-hmm. really involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they are they, they respect and love the show just as much and give it the credit it's due as the fans. I think, like I said, if you're going to have the two people to do it,
0: do that. Well, and the other thing, too, is that uh, you know Janet Varney is uh, an incredibly experienced podcaster as well. Um, She has uh, a podcast she's been doing for many years uh, called The JV Club. So basically, in so much of that is all about interviewing people about their experiences when they're younger. And I think that, you know, she already has so much of that, like those chops are really like honed for her that I think she's going to be a really great foil to Dante Bosco because I think that she's going to be able to kind of like ask him a bunch of really pointed questions about his experience going through you know like you said the recording process but you know uh witnessing kind of the fandom and everything so I think we're going to get some really interesting insights questions and back and forth uh between them I I'm I'm just so pumped I love both of those humans so much and, like you said, they have been so good to the fandom and have been so positive. So I, you know, i I personally think that they are doing this as a way to build hype for the eventual release of whatever's coming out uh and what they're going to announce later this year for Paramount Plus because i I, I think that, you know, they want to obviously, they had the initial announcement and then they just kind of want to like keep building that momentum. And they, I think they understand too, that there is like a huge audience in terms of like people who listen to podcasts and people who kind of tune into these respective people that they're going to be able to get lots of people listening to them hype it up.
1: I agree. And I think, you know, in, a, in an era and a time when this is an interesting year, and I, I've mentioned this on more than one occasion to people, is that 2021, in terms of us getting entertainment in in things that we can watch or view or whatever, a lot of stuff that would have been released in 2020 was held back. But then we're also going to see a lot of things that would traditionally have been filmed in 2020 not being filmed till now. So what they're going to have is like this lull, sort of. And Mm. part of that is how much can you fill the void with something easy that people can easily get to digest and be ready to just eat up but at the same time build hype for what you know you're gonna produce in a year or two yeah. years. And that's where like things like podcast, TikToks, and Instagram are starting to become like these things people want to watch and subscribe and YouTube videos are becoming big again because like while well, yes, YouTube videos were big, they're they're getting another big explosion of people just watching them. And mostly because there's a lull here in the entertainment industry of certain things. And it's kinda of like when the writers went on strike a little bit, we saw that happen then. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this is one way that you can build hype, but at the same time, release new content or get new information out there or just get the fans excited so that you don't lose that momentum. Like, you don't want to lose the momentum from saying, we're going to do this thing, and then two years later, do the thing. I mean, we don't give Eric a lot of credit on this show, but he was an amazing, <laughs> brilliant businessman when it came to that kind of publicity and, and marketing. Mm. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I mean, give them credit for certain certain getting out of situations and having a very dedicated assistant.
0: I mean, obviously, we've we, we've got this uh, podcast coming up. And, you know, if you tune into this podcast, hey, show them some support, show them some love, because you know what? That's also going to show them that, you know, there is that interest. And, you know, we know that y'all have the time as well. I mean we haven't released an episode as frequently so you know we know you definitely have the time on top of all of that. <laughs> um, but I mean we would welcome
1: we would welcome Janet Barney or Dante Bosco anytime. They want to they want to come promote that it. Goes they can come here without it. saying yes.
0: <laughs> absolutely. 110%. Janet, Dante, you are always welcome on the show. We would love to have you. We would be
1: honored. You have to get us our honor. Honor! (laughs) Um,
0: So, uh, additional news that we got coming out now. um, More on the Netflix side of things. So, we got some news regarding the Netflix show, which is still in development. Despite the fact that Mike and Brian stepped away from it, they are still making it. Um, So, we did get some positive news. Um, There was, at first, a rumor that potentially Katara and Sokka's ages were going to be swapped it didn't have a lot of credence that's and that's the thing you have like these YouTube channels like emergency awesome and like others that are just like trying to do these like clickbaity things about the show that will just like tr- you know get some views I understand that's the business model but like it is we, we have to be so judicious about looking into these because there's so much stuff that just doesn't have anything so we also take was, yeah that was yeah, that was always
1: it, really weak though because it
0: would have been weird but go ahead it some of that's yeah.
1: it just wouldn't have made sense for some of their characters actions then
0: exactly so uh in in with this news uh this is cited by an account avatar news um which uh has you know been pretty spot on with a lot of these because there has been an an initial report that they have kind of published and then many major outlets will follow suit with that and verify it so we have seen thus far that that is the case but again we have to take this with a grain of salt Um, so two big news announcements that they made with that first and foremost is that The show's ages uh, for all the characters were released. Aang and Katara are still respectively 12 and 14. Sokka and Zuko, however, have been aged up a year. Um, So uh, Sokka is now 16 and Zuko is now 17, whereas they were 15 and 16 before.
1: I have a question on that. Will they then age up Azula possibly? Because wasn't Azula the older sibling?
0: yeah no 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 oh no, no you're right she's the younger sibling. one that's yeah, yeah, yeah. right and i always forget that yeah which i, I think, think also might be
1: I think it's it, it might be worked.
0: why they do that it might be why they also are trying to do that too because i mean more
1: distance I, in the age maybe yeah
0: i mean who knows and they may need it to also age up azula as well because honestly you know that the the character animation and you know, Grey Griffin's voice is just like matches perfectly with that. But in order to kind of capture someone who has that essence as well, like, I, I don't know. It's 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 going to be interesting to see how they cast it.
1: Yeah, I, I have a feeling you'd have to age her up just a little. Not not because of anything with like the the cast, but I think it's just to create that terrifyingness. Like, I think if you're going to age up Azula... You age up Zuko to 17 and age a little to 16. That would probably make it more terrifying to the viewer. But like someone who's like 14 or 15 is just not going to inspire the fear. I think that a 16 a 16 year old, just it, they carry themselves. It, it's nothing against 15 or 14 year olds. It's just think back to when you were 14, 15 years old versus your 16 year old self. Yeah. I got a lot more devious at 16 than I did probably at 14 and 15 mentally. <laughs> Yeah, you started having those thoughts of how can I take the car out and not let my parents find out that I took it out at <laughs> two in the morning? How do I get back in the bedroom before my parents know I was out all night? Fourteen, you're still oh, terrified man. of them a little bit, unless you're a crazy yeah. psychopath, yeah. name is, in which case you're trying to take over the world at fourteen, which uh, I can believe.
0: <laughs> uh so in the, in the news of casting though, they did. Uh, This is also from that same account, Avatar News, um, that they did publish that the casting call has been released for the principal characters of the Netflix show. Um, And importantly, the main kind of qualifications that they have given for each of the characters um, is specifically Sokka and Katara. Um, either Native American or Indigenous North American, um, so I think that they're like including like uh, Can- like Canadian, like yeah. 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 Um, so that is that's one side of it, and then Ang and Zuko specifically um, casting specifications as Asian. So this I think is very much like a okay, hey, we're putting this out there to everyone. This is what we're casting. This is what we want to do but it is not the open casting call no, that closed. we originally that. thought was. Yeah. So it it, it is closed. Um, granted, it doesn't mean that an unknown won't be cast. It just means that there are, instead of it kind of pulling from anybody at all, like anyone in, in just anywhere and anywhere, it is specifically limited to actors with agents who can get connected to the casting directors working with Netflix you know which it, it can be good but you know there also there's more politics and favoritism and nepotism that often happens with this kind of stuff especially when it's child actors who are involved or kind of younger actors
1: it's Netflix. There's going to be at least one or two people on that cast that are going to be pretty higher names up in the listing for billing mm-hmm. because they're going to they're going to want to do that to get people to watch it. Now, as, oh, yeah. as fans, an we're really as fans, we're really just looking for the right people in the right roles. Um, but, you know, that's not how they always look at that from the casting side is like who's going to be the anchors for this to really get the people to watch it the subscribers just look at this to to get us the ratings to get us XYZ and um you know and I think that's that's gonna be the interesting part is who right now in mainstream could generate that for them.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So guys that is pretty much the news that we have uh caught up. Um if you haven't seen already toff's metal bending academy that uh graphic that. uh short short graphic novel is also out if you I haven't had a chance so to pick that up check that out um it is excellent oh. it was a very fun read
1: and make sure you google the war in bo- war embossing say
0: yes <laughs> enjoy that just google just go to google tiktok it's so good it's so good <laughs> yeah avatar tiktok is amazing yeah there you are just find so much great stuff so good um. All right. So, so guys, that's gonna conclude our news. And now, let's get into this episode, the night of a thousand stars. So, as we previously had left off the last episode, a new spiritual age. We watched as Cora and Janora went into the spirit world, their respective journeys as they met Uncle Iro as Cora learned an incredibly valuable lesson about the light that she holds within herself, sharing that and kind of what she brings to the world around her and how in the spirit world, it was actually physically affecting the world around her. But Jenora, who went to Wan Shitong's library to try to investigate, find some answers was unfortunately kidnapped by Unalak. And when Cora went to go get her back, he held Janora ransom for Korra to open up the spirit portal. And then he whisked away Janora as Korra was taken out of the spirit world. Worst the thing uncle ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't even get it started. It's, it's so oh. bad. And the last thing that we saw at the last episode was Korra returning to the physical world and Tenzin asking her where Janora was. And so we pick up directly after that as the episode opens up with Tenzin, Korra, Kaya, and Bumi and the spiritless Jinora returning to the air temple. We see this very tragic moment as Pema drops her flowers in shock as we see Tenzin holding Jinora's limp form. It's like, it is so insanely, like that. that image alone is like, so intense
1: let's take it from the point of view of pema in this case because normally you know we as the viewer know that Janora's still in the spirit realm and that she's okay somewhat right now but as pema all you're seeing is your limp daughter's body held in your husband's arms and everybody looks just destroyed Mm -hmm. you can only go to the worst possible scenario in your head as a mom like, I, I can't even begin. And, and she doesn't rage at Korra. That's the crazy part to this. Like, you know, she's yeah. got so much held together inside of her that, like, she doesn't rage and just start blaming. Like, it's Pema's grace in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Top notch. Like, she's a side character. We don't really talk about Pema as often, but.
0: Well, and I think the big part of it, too, is that immediately Tenzin is saying, I am going to do everything in my power to get her back. And they are just immediately, they're like, okay, we're, we're not, we're not here. Like we know that this is bad, but we're not like going to wallow in it. We are, we are already trying to do everything we can to make, make this right and to save her. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's a, that this is a good example of kind of that, um, sped up storytelling where it's just like, we don't need to dwell on this at all. Like it, it just this this is a perfectly poignant moment to say okay we saw the reaction we know the stakes they're ready to go and we're moving on and that's all we need
1: yeah the scene though like it's so short but it tells so much about each thing that's occurring so like kudos on this scene to the writers and you know, just the illustrators because they convey so much in such a short period of time for the viewers like about that storyline because. Tip two was kind of weird. Because you have like multiple storylines at the same time, and this was a great way to kind of address the storyline that you left off last episode, and then quickly jump to the other storyline. Like, kudos, guys!
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We don't
1: we don't tend to give a lot of credit enough to Book Two, like I said, because we, you know, Book Two is kind of like was it Book One level? <laughs> but it's definitely, you know, but it's not the Great Divide. But
0: yeah. And I mean, that's that's the thing. We've talked about this all season. For this, the pros and cons of this condensed storytelling is that you get really powerful, poignant moments like we see here in these scenes. Um, you know, but then there's other times where we things do drop need more, off, or we could need yeah. some more. Yeah, exactly. So immediately we transition over to Mako in prison. Uh, Bolin pays him a visit. And he brings him a signed poster while dressed in his Sunday best. Um, And I love that Mako is just like, okay, dude, did you only stop here to give me the signed poster? And Bolin is like, no. (laughs) like He is backpedaling so hard in this moment. It's like, I'm here to give you sincere encouragement. And it's just like, okay, we know you're a good actor, Bolin, but we can see through that. (laughs) And it's interesting because we are really seeing, we've been seeing this uh, you know, over the course of this season, is that Bolin has been swept up in this new life, in lifestyle, becoming this star. He is now this renowned figure for throughout all of Republic City because of the movers and because of his role as Tuck. And, you know, it's interesting because this is another example of kind of that high life, seeing him a little detached. And I I, I think that looking back at this scene too, that detachment, it's a comfort because he's not having to actually meet the reality of the situation. He can hide behind the poster. He can hide behind this premiere and all of the fame and everything. And I, I think that he's not, really living in those emotions in the same way that he would have been before. I don't know. What are are your thoughts on that though?
1: I think you're right. I think you, you know, you hit that on the head is that it's a way for him to escape everything that's going outside. I mean, and also from a perspective of, you know, you have someone who grew up in very hard circumstances now, not worried about eating or working really. And he enjoys what he's doing because he gets to, you know, be this larger-than-life character that everybody loves. Um, he's not seen as Mako's little brother right now. He's seen as Nuntuk or Boleyn, the actor. Like, he's being seen yeah. more positively. Um, you know, you kind you can't, of you can't fault Bolin for falling into this feeling and the desire to be a part of that world. Because he's always just been second to Mako. He's always been second to most things. And he followed Mako's lead for so long that he's kind of getting his own life, which is nice for him. But I think later we do see some of that, you know, kind of seep in a little bit about, you know, it comes at a price in a way for him.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, but it's, it's really interesting character development. And that's, that's why, you know, I always, you know, people who are critical of Korra and say that there wasn't a strong character development it's different and I think that Bolin is such a great example of that
1: do you ever wonder and this is something I've wondered now going back and knowing all the stuff that went on behind the scenes with Avatar Last Airbender with Korra a little bit do you ever wonder if Bolin's storyline for this was like Mike and Brian projecting (laughs) a little bit like they wanted they they wanted to set out to tell the story the way they wanted to tell the story and tell a great story but like along the way they got you know swept up in all the things that go along with it which are you know trying to find a studio trying to get a season trying to get this done that done this done that done and along the way they maybe you know like things like certain episodes or the way certain seasons went weren't exactly the way they wanted them to go or they didn't want to the story didn't they didn't want the story to go that way but they were forced into it and they kind of just take a moment and go well kind of miss when we were just still drawing cartoons on napkins
0: like i
1: always wonder that but
0: You know, we need to, well, and let's keep this point in mind because we need to revisit it at the later point of this episode. Exactly. Because I think you're really, I think you're really onto something for sure with that. All of a sudden we just Um, get
1: an email, we get an email after this episode goes live. It's like, that was not the point at all. (laughs) It's
0: like, oh, God. Oh, no. So, you know, before Bolin leaves, um, you know, Mako tells him before he leaves, he goes, hey, look, he goes, if my theory is right about all of this, You need to keep an eye out at the premiere. And the whole time Bullen is just like, okay. He's like, ooh, going to make that insanity defense I see. And that, I mean, like, I don't know. To me, that, like, that line was, I don't know. They used it twice, which kind of bugged me. Like, the first time I was like, okay, that's very much a, like, our knowledge of our justice system. In terms of, like, that being a thing. And that hasn't really ever been, like, shown in the world of Korra. We don't, like, we did get to see inside of a courtroom for the trial of, um, oh, my goodness gracious, uh, Yakone. I
1: was going to say, are you going to remember his name anytime soon?
0: Yeah, 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 I know, right? But, I mean, the thing was, it was that, that like, the way that that trial was conducted was still very different from you know what we would normally see necessarily like in you know uh, every courtroom
1: i think it's hard to and i don't know maybe for me as a person i feel like that was that was a stretch because not every place calls it an insanity plea like there are there are competency pleas or like Mm -hmm. there but every every trial thing is is it has a range, but another thing is too. Depending on the time period, you know that may have not been an actual plea you could enter.
0: Hold on, I'm checking something here.
1: Yeah, you're checking to see when the when that plea became when did the part insanity plea start. I mean, technically, okay. you need a precedent for it in court.
0: Okay, so apparently, um, all right, this is super interesting. <laughs> uh. The insanity plea originated in Britain, where in 1843, Minotin murdered the secretary of the prime minister in an attempt to kill the prime minister, believing there was a conspiracy against him involving the government. The high court found him insane and he was hospitalized. Okay. Well, you know, I stand corrected because I definitely thought that that was going to be something more contemporary. Like I was thinking at least like mid 20th century for well, that, you think but, about
1: the things they locked people up in asylums for back in the early 1900s and be, was, there was one that was like just being sad too often apparently <laughs> it was something like if what you yeah. were, like well and we I do mean,
0: we do know that those kind of hospitals exist because that was where azula was and where she was uh, yeah where she was uh set, discharged to at the end of uh Avatar the Last Airbender. So I so, guess
1: it's a possibility a sanity defense would still but I mean in that case, you know, you're establishing that there is sanity, there's there's some form of that acknowledgement of sane and insane. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Well, just it was just I know that it's something that kind of was just strange to me, but now kind of seeing that, I can I can definitely see it. It's it's certain certain touchstones that you also have to use sometimes in order to convey points, which I I totally get. Um, I wonder,
1: so this is laugh at me, if you will, for a moment, or just humor me. But I wonder if Azula was meant to be the 1843 case where it was like a conspiracy kind of thing. And like, then she became the first real sanity plea. And then you get this just kind of like being like the established theory that that actually exists now in this justice system world where you know you kind of went to a world where it was like city states and you really didn't have an established level of court and now you're saying okay there's an established level of court most likely probably the first person who was relieved of war crimes was Azula
0: that's very true because if you think about it too it's just like how, how would people like have the assurance that like something wouldn't happen with her you know It's just like, okay, because we know Ozai is not as big of a threat because he doesn't have his bending, but what about her? Look,
1: Cersei Lannister would have told you to get rid of her because she had a claim to the throne, okay? Cersei would not have let Azula off as easily, but you do wonder if there was a level of acknowledgement of sanity Mm -hmm. and therefore she becomes like the first in the New Republic world sanity plea and then she's absolved of war crimes because she's determined to be unfit to stand trial. Mm. So she then is what predates the question from Mako and the fact that there's an established plea in the courts.
0: Damn, look at this. We're all extrapolating this from one one uh what? or two lines that Poland has here in this. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, this is stuff that I guess they could apostolate in Janet Varney and Dante Bosco's podcast, too, when they go through it. Because they'll have mm. side notes, probably.
0: We want answers, please. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> All right. Sorry. Now we need to get back to episode 11 or else we'll never get through this.
0: <laughs> so down at the Southern Water Tribe, Cora's father, Tonrock, and his fellow soldiers decide to try and retake the city. I also noticed no women whatsoever in this group of fighters, which again seems a little strange to me considering a, this is Southern water tribe where Katara came from and B I I don't know. It just like it. it, it Well, hold on when
1: Katara was remember, even though Katara came from the Southern water tribe, right? And even then the warriors were all men. The women are the ones and the children stayed home. Sokka yeah. was left as the oldest male to take care of the tribe. Yeah. So I'm Well just and Tanrock also there. came from the north, too.
0: I mean, if you think about it, Tanrak also came from the north. So I mean, so much of that I think inherent, you know, you know, misogyny that and just and especially like patriarchy that was established so firmly both you know in the southern water tribe just in terms of roles but then in the northern water tribe in very explicit laws and customs
1: i want i want to know what the custom law is around the whole southern water tribes hierarchical chieftain role because right like, you would think Sokka's. Sokka would be the chieftain, and therefore, then his child would then become the next chieftain or chiefess. But it's somebody who literally immigrated from the north.
0: Well, I think that he. I think he. Uh, so is that telling us Sokka died for, and he for, had no
1: kids? No,
0: I think that I think he actually abstained because if you think about it, he became a council member on uh, in Republic City. So I think that he gave up his position as chieftain in order to represent the water tribe. He became, instead of like, he basically said, I don't want to be president. I want to be like an ambassador to the UN, or I want to be like secretary of state, like that kind of deal. And, you know, I, I think. I guess I can I see know. that
1: if Saka ended up with, if Saka didn't end up with Suki, he might choose that to be allow for Suki to continue training Kyoshi warriors and not having to be consistently in the Southern Water Tribe, but at the same time. But I guess also, if you were to be the Southern Water Tribe and you said, who here has the most worldly experience outside of us, outside of a warrior, who has the mentality of being an ambassador, I guess you would choose Sokka. Because he's seen all the nations. He's been there. He's experienced it.
0: And I don't think that Katara would want to take on the mantle of she would that, be home like,
1: raising and the wife of the avatar doing a bunch of other stuff probably although i'm sure she yeah. also just didn't want to be in that role she i don't think she really wanted to be in
0: politics yeah never so. struck me as uh she she struck me as educator an yes and a, as an educator yes but <laughs> but who knows i mean it's it's hard to say kind of where they where they went but the you know again the main thing is is that like i i think I notice this, and we get a line from him, from one of his like fellow soldiers that say, "Should we wait? Cora may be arriving with reinforcements," and he goes, "We can't wait." And it's just like,
1: "Isn't that okay. what you've been doing for this long already?"
0: But exactly, <laughs> and, and, and this is, and this is where the Civil War arc just dies. It just it dies in this episode. It is. Like there are so many good things about this episode and so many uh, incredible parts in terms of like Bolin, the arc that he has, and like, uh, you know, Mako's kind of, uh, you know, he was actually right all along, all that good stuff. But like this arc that we see with Tonrock, it it goes out with a whimper. And I think it is like, it is the greatest casualty of this season in terms of like what got what what got taken away because again we're here he says we can't wait for her we hear later on in the episode these atrocities are happening in the southern water tribe what is happening what is Unaloc even doing down there where are the stakes why is Korra's father not waiting like there there is just so much that we just don't know that is happening down there
1: i you know and i feel like this was laziness and deciding to just push this arc along when it didn't need to be pushed as hard as it was right away because Mm -hmm. and let me let me put this way is that the whole reason tonrak ends up down in in the southern water tribe because remember he was supposed to be the chief in the northern water tribe because he is the elder brother is because of his lack of patience With respect to just Mm. taking that wait and see for a moment before moving forward. And had he been patient previously and not gone into the spirit land, most likely he wouldn't have had those same issues happen. Mm. Right then and there, probably. I mean, obviously, you know, Unalak was going to do stuff, but that day, probably not. And here he exhibits the same qualities that he says he learned from as a younger man now that he's older. But if you learned so much from it and that moment was so pivotal in your life, why are you doing it again?
0: Exactly. And, and, and that's, that's why we're, we're missing the context and how that context could have been so powerful.
1: I would have gotten it if we had seen or heard something along the lines of, nalok is torturing people, he's letting children starve, he's um you know he's locked up all the benders and violently beating them or something he, something anything yeah. would have helped but nothing was given to us as an audience to say oh yeah Rock's making a good decision here no it, instead we're all like what are you doing you idiot mm-hmm. and yeah. it, it it it's really hard because you want to support the rock character really really bad but it's And instead, you know what it feels like more from another perspective when you watch this again and you think about it in the perspective of the fact that Kor is a female avatar is that if this had been Aang, or a male avatar, would he have waited? But because Mm -hmm. she's a woman and he thought maybe I know best because I've been in battle before, he moves forward anyway. Like, The arrogance level and i i I hate calling her dad arrogant but at the same time it you see this more often than not is that men will choose to do certain decisions when a woman is in charge versus if a man was in charge Mm. and i don't know like i i I don't want to think that way but i also wonder sometimes it does your thoughts as a woman do wonder to that after you've experienced certain instances of that you do wonder yeah
0: Yeah. And I I think that that's totally valid. And again, you know, you going to that and thinking about that, I think is a natural byproduct from the fact that we are missing so much information when everything is so simplified. You can only sometimes go to those types of conclusions because you're just like you're giving me no other information than what I'm just seeing at a cursory glance. And like you said, if we if we saw that, like you know, Unalaq was torturing people or if he was like doing a blockade where he was separating out like the Southern Water Tribe members from the Northern Water Tribe people like saying like, okay, you can get food or you can't, or you have to do the manual labor for to be able to do all of this. Maybe we can see that struggle in Tonrak of being like, okay, I have to wait. I have to wait. And then he's like, he can't anymore. And like, that's where he's at.
1: Or what made this night so much better to attack than any other night? From a military point of view, like even if you're not going to give us the other aspects, give us a military point of view. What makes this night so much more believable that he is the most vulnerable on this evening versus any other evening that you could have picked?
0: Yeah, I mean, we could even say like, "Hey, look, our reports came back. Unalak has been gone in the spirit world. He's been gone in these woods for like this many amount of days. This is this is the time to strike. This
1: is the time Mm -hmm. to go in there and siege it." Yeah. Or he's pulled guards and they're like in they're in Republic City right now or something. Anything, anything would have helped. But there was no context to like a spy or a scout coming back. And in fact, there's even no context to him having any connection or communication with his daughter to say, hey, dad, I'm getting reinforcements, but it's kind of hard here. Like we heard none of that. So, like, yeah. is he just assuming reinforcements are coming? And we don't know what their communication is with the Republic City and how quick communication moves for them because, honestly, they are a little remote and removed. So, I don't know, like, because you never see a phone at Republic... You never no. see a phone in the Water Tribe that pick up a phone and hey, what's up, you know? Which-
0: yeah, I mean, even, like, telegraphs or anything, like, it just... Again, it is this sense that like it is so clearly evident that like this was just abandoned. Like this whole story and well, and we don't
1: we don't even see hockey fly in with a message going, it? <laughs> like we don't see any of that. <laughs> At least get hockey to bring you a message or something.
0: For real. Where is hockey? Hashtag where was hockey? We needed him. <laughs>
1: Even hockey
0: would have been appreciated at this point. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, the, the, again, the thing is with all of this and hello future me, I think when he does his critique on beginnings, one of the things that he critiques it about is saying, he goes, this is, he goes, this story is very cool and it's awesome. But what it does is that it completely bisects the middle of book two and it Guts, anything that you could have had for the Civil War arc. It is completely abandoned. And I mean, look at it. We haven't even touched base about the Civil War arc, besides what has been said in Republic City about like getting troops to go down there and everything. And like, it isn't until this moment that we're just like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess we're attacking now. Like, there's nothing. And so much of that is just lost. Because of it. And I and I think that that is. I remember watching that video. And seeing it like yes. This is this is such a valid critique. And explains I think. Why a lot of people. Have such negative associations with book two. Is because it starts off. On a really. Really cool note. With the Civil War arc. You're just like oh man. Like two brothers going at it. Korra's stuck in the middle. There's dark spirits involved. There's all this cool stuff. And then it just kind of, like, you know, okay, it splits off in the road, and it's just like, okay, we're going to follow this, like, dark spirit arc here, and this one is, like, a little off-ramp, and we're just going to conclude that.
1: (laughs) I get what I think it was attempting to do, which was to parallel the struggle between Vantu and um, Rava. Rava, but... I think this is where you just let it drop off completely, and it just, it it, it's it, it just doesn't go well. Like yeah, I get that that's how it started, which was really a great idea. Like let's have this parallel arc where you've got these two, and the greatest part of this thought is that you could have advertised it as the polar opposites conniving, which is perfect because that's where the two spear portals are, or in the poles, <laughs> which would have been perfect. <laughs> But yeah. no, you just let this thing die a painful death. It's not even like, it's dying a gangrene over here and you're not even trying to help it. Like, it's yeah. just, it, it, it's awful. It, it would have been so good. This could have been such a great storyline. And it just...
0: Mm-hmm. yeah.
1: I was so angry.
0: Mm-hmm. So we'll get back to the way that this story uh storyline kind of dies but let's get into let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode let's get into the stuff that is so good and I am fucking rooting for I'm sorry I like I am just rooting for this part of this episode so hard and as soon as it came on I was ready I was on board we are here at the premiere of the last movie We see Bolin and Ginger arrive. They're here for the red carpet premiere bolin is pumped because as he's walking by shiro the announcer for pro bending arena who is also just kind of like commentating at this point i don't know if he's like a reporter what the deal is because he's like well, in the crowd he, randomly later he is on the
1: ryan seacrest <laughs> of this world okay he gets hired out for everything you could imagine like if there is a sports arena he's probably there new year's eve probably there if he's over and there's a movie premiere, oh, you bet he's going to be there. Okay? Mm-hmm. Like, that mm-hmm. is is—that's is like, probably- Have you heard this yeah. man's
0: voice? It, like, you he has what? the most Actually, hyped voice in the look, world.
1: I've got the best idea. When Netflix gets to Cora or whoever gets to Cora and they decide to make a live action, just hire Ryan Seacrest to play the announcer <laughs> at that point. Because everyone will get the joke.
0: Oh, my God. Him or Nick Kim. Uh, <laughs> I, I love it. So Bolin is pumped because Shiro has named uh, Bolin and Ginger as Republic City's hottest couple. And uh, I love how like Bolin's just like, hey, did you hear uh, what Shiro had to say there? And Ginger is just like, Bolin. It's just like, you're as dumb as those rocks you throw around. Bolin, you're as dumb as those rocks you
1: throw
0: around. <laughs> And I love how much she says that bullets not even face. He goes, but Shiro said it.
1: <laughs> like, that's what he goes on. But the public love us. And she's like, they love
0: ginger and Nuntak,
1: And ginger loves Nuntak. But I'm
0: Nuntak. It's, it's so good. And it, I mean, like it, it just, it immediately we're kind of getting this, like, you know, this vibe that again, even though he has it all, he still doesn't. And, the as the the Red carper premiere continues, we see President Ryko and his wife arrive, and Varric approaches. He is just laying it on thick. He is just like saying, "Oh, you know, I had to do all of this. Like this is, you know, this is all good." And I love the entire time. Varric is so happy. He's smiling, and the entire time Ryko is just scowling. He is just not happy whatsoever. And it's very clearly in the matter of moments here, we get this moment where like the cameras are flashing, they're standing and posing, taking these photos. And Raiko calls him out. And it's just like, Varric, I know what you're trying to do. You aren't going to use your propaganda piece to be able to sway my opinion to commit troops to the Southern Water Tribe. And it's, but it's like, it is such a classic moment of like, you know, this like head of state kind of saying like, you're not going to be able to sway me. And like in the midst of this like photo op moment, they're smiling and Varric is like, oh, you'll find how persuasive I can be. And you're just like, oh man, what do you have up your sleeve, Varric? <laughs> uh. it's,
1: it's just the most incredible. Varric was the Jeff Bezos before Jeff Bezos was Jeff Bezos.
0: Okay. <laughs> Let's just put it that. And he's way. A way cooler. He's way cooler than him, though. We have or to hair like. Or yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it it it's interesting that we have this moment between them because it's kind of showing this again. We've been seeing it kind of hinted at throughout this season, but it is this collision of like corporate power versus political power. Not and even so especially, much verses,
1: it's, it's, it's how much corporate power sways political power. <laughs> mm, and, yeah. And, and it's terrifying. I feel like kudos, Mike and Brian, on getting a political commentary into a child show. <laughs>
0: we, we go from the scene to Varric premiering the mover. He stands alone in the midst of the arena, spotlight on him, the giant screen hanging before him, and he has this incredible speech where he is saying, we're here at the finale of nuktuk hero of the South. And, you know, there are a lot of naysayers. People say that I couldn't make pictures move. People say that I couldn't take, I couldn't take a, an a, a, like an earthbender who didn't know what to do and turn him into a star. <laughs> we see this pan over to Bolin and he's like, uh, <laughs> oh. and, And he, like, has these, you know, he's saying he's like, people said that I couldn't do this. People say that I couldn't give a voice to animals. He goes, but you know, I did give them a voice. And if you listen, I think you'll be interested to hear what they have to say. And then he leans in close. He gets quieter and more serious. They will tell you of the injustices happening at the Southern Water Tribe. And it's just like... Oh my, and then, and then the coup de grace, all we need to know is, is there a hero that is going to rise up to be able to stand against Unalak and his threats and his ways? It's like, I mean, it is so good. Like that is what makes Varric such an incredible character is that even though, you know, he is war profiteering, even though, you know, he is doing so much shady stuff he can still do this and you're like yes yes Varric. Yes. all he <laughs> needed
1: to do was the tony stark like put his arms out and just let the bombs go off behind. someone get this yeah. done like put because yep. he does put his arms out to just just easily do that with Varric, sub him in for when tony stark does it <laughs> and that would literally be like uh, that's this version this this comic books tony stark is literally Varick.
0: No, absolutely. And but it just it shows it is such a brilliant move by Varick to just sway hearts and minds. Like he just he knows what to do. You know why? Because he has been doing all kinds of product testing. He has had control groups, I am sure. He has done all of this because he is a successful businessman and you know he's played it out. You know that he's been testing this and you know he knows And now
1: what's he owns hundred percent of the market share and got rid of Cabbage Corp, so
0: yep he's
1: basically the only he's a monopolist before monopolies had a name in this culture
0: yep so we have this inspiring speech and meanwhile we shift to the two cops aka hitchcock and scully from brooklyn nine okay
1: what number of storylines are we on at this point because i lost count four
0: five uh five because cora civil war mako in prison bolin bolin
1: Varric profiteering off the war
0: i could say you could say bolin and Varric are kind of like mixed together Uh, in a way
1: Bolin's storyline is just about bolin coming out of his shell really from his because if it starts off the series as that he's in the pro-bending arena with the new fire ferrets and it's not the same but then he goes to become a mover and he starts by basically being a Sami's assistant, then he's engaged. It's like that Bull Lynn one I call its own storyline here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, then yeah,
1: yeah. I say Ferrex is a little bit deviated because Farracks is about corporate takeover and control as well as political sway.
0: Yeah. So yeah, And then you have the and you have the cops and that makes it six.
1: Yeah, so <sighs> I'm getting uh, lost.
0: So storylines. Yeah. <laughs> But we see these two cops, they're stuffing their faces, and then they get jumped by Water Tribe soldiers. And we know that it's, it it can't be good. We cut back to the mover as nuk is chained up and quartered by automatons. Uh, no, we're like, actually up at like, seven
1: storylines, sorry.
0: Because of the actual mover <laughs> itself.
1: No, 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 no. I, that's actually making it eight now seven because we forgot the the ang family feud storyline
0: facts wow um,
1: <laughs> how ang Katara might have been terrible parents i don't know anymore where we're at
0: oh and then i mean we could also unalak in in vatu in that relationship that's another
1: Batu, i think we diagnosed yeah yeah okay.
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we see that juji and i can't remember um uh Naga's character's name in in uh in nuktuk Rotan or Rotan that's the name of uh of Naga's character yeah, so we have Rotan and Juji come in to save him and thanks to Juji's laser eyes, I love that there's no explanation for it. It just suddenly he just has laser beams shooting out of his eyes. Juji use
1: your <laughs> laser beam eyes what? when did he get that?
0: oh my god but look
1: that's just playing on how everybody's watching a movie and all of a sudden a character has a special movie you're like whoa 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 Whoa." (laughs) what (laughs) when did that come on i feel like that's been the season of my hero academy when they display new moves i'm like whoa 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 when did they get that move
0: (laughs) so we see that juji is you know they are able to stop the automatons but then juji lays dying as Nukta cries out as Juji seemingly dies. But it's in this moment that we see that Bolin has become increasingly uncomfortable um, in so much so that he eventually takes his exit. He leaves the booth and Asami follows him. And we get this really nice scene between Bolin and Asami in which like, I can't even remember the last time we had just a, like, you know, well, we had one earlier this, like this season and I mean, like I every single time I see them together, I love it. Like they have such a great dynamic between the two of them, and they have this moment outside where Bolin opens up and he's vulnerable.
1: Ten storyline was yeah. the Sami's yeah. aftermath of her father's inception and in the and the corporation downfall with the Sami and her finding. Sorry, that was storyline ten.
0: Wow, <laughs> wow.
1: Sorry you brought that up about them having these really nice (laughs) scenes and it brought me to storyline 10.
0: (laughs) So Bolin and Asami share this moment where Bolin laments that team avatar is falling apart. And that even though he's had all of this stuff going well for him, he misses his friends. He misses the things the way they used to be. And, I think it's this, it's a really great moment where we get to see like, yeah, like so much has changed. And I think it's also just a product of this new world. The fact that we're dealing with like teenagers. And I think that it's this idea too, that Bolin, all of these people, they grew up hearing about the stories and tales of team avatar of ang katara sokka and toph and eventually zuko like how they worked together they were there for each other they defeated the fire lord they were they went through all of these trials and tribulations and i think that like bolin when he felt this like team come together i think he thought that like that was going to be what they're going to do and see to see it so quickly already dissolve I can see why he's kind of shook by that and upset by it and I I I thought it was just such a great genuine scene to see him open up and I think the reality of everything uh kind of settling in and I I kind of wrote in my notes here it's the hollowness of fame and success
1: again back to Mike and Brian was this storyline meant to be a reflection of how they felt after Avatar's success and popularity and the end of Avatar, they get to core and it's just like, we just set out to tell a simple story. yeah. And now we don't, and now we're not even getting to tell the story we want because we have our hands tied by a group that, you know, I just miss the days when we could talk, tell the stories we wanted to tell. Without all the, the, you can't make characters gay on TV for kids backlash or we can't you know we got told who we couldn't make love each other who we couldn't do you know i feel like that was sort of the reflection they had and
0: i think it could be about like their team that they had too i mean you think yeah. about it remember we this talked was about this before we talked about this yeah we, the writing team is non-existent like, they, they have so few people in their writer's room that I think a lot of that is very much a callback to that. I mean, who knows if that and was actually their, their intention, but I don't think that it's a coincidence.
1: You know, back in their prime day when they had the animators in that one studio and then they were told to switch studios and you've got, like... I think that's just kind of what it was. Like, I felt like there was some small amount of reflection of when did we let the the money and the, and the pomp and circumstance kind of just take over what we set out to do as a team. Mm. Yep. And I feel like that, like, that's why I brought that up earlier. Cause I, was, I always thought that going back now and watching this again, thinking, okay, were well, Mike and Brian trying to subtly tell us all something about how they were feeling in this moment.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's, it, it's interesting too, because we see we see that Bolin is in this place. He's vulnerable, but he's not there for long. And he goes back. And I think it's not a coincidence either with how the the turn that this episode takes. Um, so, meanwhile, after this scene, we go back to the Southern Water Tribe. I'm sorry, we're back to this tragic end of the Civil War arc. It's nighttime. Tanrock and his dudes are chasing off some people dark spirits show up unalak shows up on a flying creature that you know his kids show up and then it's just like okay all right thanks thanks for that 20 second scene we're gonna go back to the storyline we just wanted to tap in to let you guys know that by the way this arc that we set up at the very beginning of the season that we invested all this time in it's gonna get this 20 second reminder scene to bring you guys back <laughs> to remind you that this is concluding
1: this this arc's done, but you're only eleven episodes. This arc is
0: done. We go back to the arena immediately after this. Quick flash over there. We've had flashbacks that have lasted longer, uh, and then we're we back had a flashback to the arena. Back
1: to the original Avatar that went more episodes than that Civil War arc.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. Verrick and Julie are taken away because I love how they're like, they see, oh, I didn't even get to, oh, I didn't even get to that part. I skipped no, ahead. You had oh my it. God, you met, I'm so sorry.
1: Ahead. I was going to say you missed that.
0: Oh, my God. Well, okay. We skipped ahead. I'm sorry. I, I jumped down my notes way too far. Well, hey, spoiler alert. We see where that arc is ending. It's not that special. It's still only 20 seconds. Okay. Back back up. Back up. Back up. Rewind the tapes. <laughs> We're coming back up here. Bolin has lamented to Asami. She asks him to come inside and just like, hey, watch the end of this with me. He's like, no, I, I need some more time myself. Bolin spots the water tribe boat and investigates. He finds the cops tied up who tell him that they're after the president. And then mm, chef's kiss to this whole sequence. We get an absolutely, this is I think one of my favorite sequences of this season in much of Korra because it also speaks to my soul with movies in a big way. And it's like, we get this amazing sequence as mover and real life begin to blend ah bolin and Nuktuk save saved the day because you know what bolin goes in he goes into riko's box knocks the waterbenders back and then he leaps down his shoulders on the jacket he's wearing tear and he just straight rips, rips them off, off the sleeves <laughs> as and i love as he does this we hear the Nuktuk horn theme plays like
1: he just goes fool the rock and decides he's gonna just
0: listen and and abigail wanted me to notate this because as we were watching this she she said you know we need to address this and we need to let this be said that bolin is the official himbo of legend of korra And you know what? This moment proves it more undeniably more than anything, because my God, I mean, the dude is just swole. He is feeling himself in this moment and he goes and just like crushes these dudes at the pro bending arena as like all of these moments from the movie are like happening like concurrently. Ginger yells out, calls for him to watch out as she does. as, like, it's happening on the mover. Lynn and her cops are, like, locking down the president. I mean, just, there's so much that's happening with all of it that just is going side by side. It is, like, it reminds me of, like, what... I don't know exactly what movie I'm thinking of, but I know Quentin Tarantino has done something similar to this. I think it might have been in *Inglorious Bastards in terms of, like, the, the bleed over between cinema and reality and yeah, I think you're thinking that just
1: about, like I think in the in the scene when they go to the French theater, that scene I think is what you're thinking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's you know it's it's just such a great sequence. We get Bolin is truly like he's not just acting anymore. he is being the hero that he knows that he is. And it's such a beautiful, inspiring moment. And I love that we really get to see it. It It's just so good. The writing, the visuals, the fact that it lines up. It just, that sequence I just love so, 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 so much. And it's such a high point for this season and for this episode. So after this glorious sequence here, we do get this water tribe, southern water tribe, nighttime, Tonrock's there, dark spirits, Unalak and the kids show up. Okay, we, we went over this. And then immediately <laughs> after <laughs> that, we go, <laughs> <laughs> we just need, the, we need the Batman, <laughs> like <laughs> the Batman sting <laughs> to go in and out. of
1: <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's roll.
0: So we're back to the arena. Varric and Julie are being taken away and Lynn tells Raiko, uh you know, what he avoided. You know, it's like, Hey, this was their plan. This are going to trade do. And Ryko's just like, who could have seen this coming? And Lin is just like, well, there was someone who saw this coming, it was Mako, and I love that Ryko goes, "You've got a fine, uh, fine detective on your hands," and I love that Lin is just like, "He's one of the best, sir," and it's just like,
1: you both just forgot you threw him in jail, right?
0: <laughs> Lin, Lin, Lynn, hold on, can we can we talk for a moment, Lin? Just come here, come here. Stop. Come
1: here.
0: How much? How much did you absolutely? like dump on his dreams and like tell him like no 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 like you can't do this you gotta earn it you gotta do all of this like yeah i know he does this but i this is absolutely lynn saving her ass and saving face in front of the president (laughs) just being like oh yeah i absolutely support this cop that i totally was like you know being incredibly dismissive of and like was through in jail and absolutely thought was like you know clearly like
1: Let's all talk about Lynn Bayfon for a second. Sidebar, right? (laughs) Storyline number whatever we're at now. (laughs) Lynn Bayfon, who is Toph Bayfon's daughter, right? And obviously it has Mm -hmm. inherited the ability to sense things through the ground with her feet, could not sense when someone was BSing her. As hard as Varric was about everything.
0: You know what, though? I, here, here's the argument I will make, though. Varric is on the Azula level of, I am a flying purple platypus bear, and, you know, like with, with like purple wings and all of that. That is the level that Varric is on in terms of bullshittery that I think he can get away with that without being detected.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Lynn Sybar. You're still living in your mama's shadow. <laughs> Hard right now.
0: Oh, don't worry. Don't worry. That's why we got season three and four. That's why <laughs> we know. got book three and four. <laughs> she, know. she you know, she may think she got away but with it, but it's just was, like, oh, no, Lynn. This was we got a reckoning coming. The, this
1: <laughs> became the 12th or 13th or whatever storyline we're up to. This became the future storylines for other seasons.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, Absolutely. You
1: had like i think they just ran with a bunch of storylines that were like hey what sounded good in season two that we can go back? you know what let's go back to lynn bayfon essentially being mm-hmm. her mother's mm-hmm. daughter and her not knowing mm-hmm. who her daddy is let's go back to that trap and just make mm-hmm. the fans mm-hmm. crazy like yeah
0: and you know what and they did and we loved it
1: <laughs> and i will buy more of it if i could
0: oh oh absolutely oh my goodness you know, and so That's why we're we, all we, watching
1: we... this graphic comic about Toth's <laughs> metal bending academy, is because we're all there for Toth. We are yes. all in hard. Like rocks and metal.
0: Yes. Uh so you know, we we have this, of course, this scene where, you know, Lynn says that he's one of the best. And we see Bolin finally gets the girl. You know, he's up there.
1: Hashtag Bolin gets the girl. Can we get that training? Hashtag Bolin gets the girl? Because I think Bolin needs to hear that.
0: Yeah. You know what? But my goodness, he gets the girl, but he doesn't get more than a minute. My God. Like, legit. Like, he gets the girl, and then immediately, like, We've been saying hashtag Mako read the room. Can we please say for a moment hashtag Asami read the room? Like, I know we have important things to do, but like, my God, like Bolin just, you know, he just had this beautiful moment. He finally got the girl and like Asami just kind of walks up and it's like, hey, Bolin, by the way. By th-, and he's just like, <laughs> I was like, please give this man like five minutes, like at least Like, give him some time to relish in this victory, please.
1: I'm not sure if it's Asami read the room or so much as Asami get a clue. (laughs) Because, like, I feel like, and this is me being really angry about it because, or who, what happened to Asami should be, like, the the hashtag for this season. Because I feel like her character deviates hard from her old character yes like i feel like asami would have been way the asami from season one would have leaned into that moment and felt that for him and been like he needs about 10 minutes i'm gonna let him have that but like this asami i feel like just jumps in with i need this i need that like
0: she is asami i need to move the plot forward sato that is who she is at this moment
1: (laughs) (laughs) asami the plot mover sato
0: you know what? Next that, up listen, that in is the
1: bending <laughs> arena. We've got Asami. Move the plot along, Sato.
0: <laughs> listen, that could be multiple people's middle name in this in this particular season. Like there are so many people where they will just come in and say, "Hey, by the way, like let's move this along." <laughs> but yeah, I mean, absolutely, it's just like move we're not. Move the
1: plot along. He has no last name. Airbender. <laughs> Like, i feel like that's where we're at like this is this is literally you know i feel like that was Tenzin's character last season and now they've given it to asami and to be frank asami doesn't wear that mantle well because that was not her character we haven't no she deserves she deserves everything
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and it started yes. good
1: it started good with asami having somewhat of a of a character storyline and now you've ripped that out from under her here
0: yeah, well, it's and because it's- you know it was it was moved. She was there to be able to move the plot forward and also to create this love triangle dynamic again. Like it's it just, I don't know. And we'll get into it at the end of this episode. My God, we still have a lot of episode to build to cover here. We we're, we're, we're 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 I mean we're we're well I'd say we're like three quarters of the way through, but so we're here, and then Cora arrives by bison. And, you know, it's just like, okay, wow, everything's coming together. Korra's here. And immediately she's just like, listen, President Raikou, here's the deal. Unaloc. he's literally going to unleash a demonic spirit that's going to cause, like, all the, like it's going to be the end of the world. I, I know that there's, like, a jump in scene where, like, clearly they're, like, kind of saying, like, there was more explained to Raikou. But I feel like Korra could have come up with a little bit better of an opening line and being like, hey, Raikou. This evil spirit is going to cast the world in 10,000 years of darkness. He's going to send us back to the Stone Age. If we're lucky. That's the line you enter with, Korra. Ryko. I mean, granted, I'm granted I don't think Ryko was going to be able to listen. I don't think Ryko was going to listen anyway. Dude's a hard ass. He's not going to listen.
1: Ryko was, Ryko's the manager you go to when you see something happening and you tell him at work that it's happening and it's incorrect and that you're going to have a lot of problems later on down the road if it continues. And he just goes, (laughs) that's going to be a no for me because it requires me to do work and I don't want to do work. Okay. Thanks. Bye.
0: It's so true. He is the worst of middle management. That is exactly what President Ryko is. He is the worst person middle of middle management. Ever. Oh my God. Oh, that's so spot on. Somebody needs uh, some
1: leadership training hard.
0: Yeah, and you know oh, mm, mm, mm.
1: you know, you oh, know anyone who's ever worked retail will tell you there's a RiCO mm-hmm. that they know. and mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I I I want our listeners to like just plow our Twitter with their RiCO stories. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag# Ryko the manager. <laughs> and literally tell us all the terrible stories that you know because honestly I yes. think you can make a whole series out of Raiko the manager <laughs> Raiko in different situations Absolutely. oh my no, goodness
0: no that's courageous. still going to be a
1: path like there were like you're talking hey Raiko there's a like this is how I imagine this going hey Raiko there's a once in a hundred year pandemic that's coming and we should probably prepare for it ah <sighs> Mm, is it impacting me right now before my next election well no but it could kill a lot of people and we could probably all end up in our houses for over two years and honestly it could tank the world economy
0: mm. Mm, mm, you know but the thing I'm is, gonna though, have is that, to listen,
1: pass on that listen I but I've but, got but, listen I've got some very
0: important note. reports I've got some important reports that I got to be able to turn into uh Turn into uh, you know, my cabinet. There's a lot of people who are expecting that. I really need to be able to 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 send those off. I can't really be bothered by this. And you know what? Verric varic having him in the in the mover as this like hunk of a dude, like, you know, currying the common cold, that is also that is that is typical of brown nosing the middle management of just being like you know what you're such a good manager here's the no this is the end of the year awards
1: no there's the guy on duty who literally is always kissing his rear end and you're like he's like that's why you should show up 5 minutes early for work cuz you're already late if you're 10 minutes early or like or he's like the guy who's like at the punch clock and he's like I see that you were 30 seconds late getting back from lunch. I'm going to have to tell the manager you took two at lunch. <laughs> like that's that right there is Merrick. But he's so good at what he does. That's why he moves up the chain and gets more money than you.
0: Oh, absolutely. Because he knows absolutely. the
1: system and he knows how to game it, which is yep. really frustrating.
0: Oh my goodness. So Cora has arrived. She asked for Ryko's help. Ryko's is like, nah, answer is still no. And then Cora's just like, Cora's like, this is great. Well, where, where's Mako? Transition to Bolin getting Mako out of jail. You know what? And they have a really sweet moment. I really love this scene. Like, it is so nice because I love that like, you know, Bolin just like, is like, look, I'm really sorry that I doubted you, man. And like, I love that Mako is just like, it's okay, bro. And just like puts his arm around him. And it's just like,
1: as he goes guys. around just a little more <laughs> you yeah i know right
0: it's just like he like he like does a little fire bending though and like torches part of his outfit it's just like all right but you do get that <laughs> but you know we we get this like we get this like moment where it's like it's it's that celebratory cop moment where like you know we talked about it it's that trope before how it's just like the cop who knows what's really going on but everything is against him he gets thrown in jail and then finally he gets out he, at the we end arrested of the movie the
1: wrong man
0: this it's like oh but i was right all along and everyone should have listened to me and now you all know and everyone's there everyone's applauding him it's this like beautiful moment that mako's just like oh man we're great he gets applause he gets praise he gets a promotion he's gonna be the new det- detective on the force and then he looks on to asami with a smile and i swear to god this is such a beautiful blocking of Korra just coming across the screen obviously we know it's such a beautiful dramatic irony because we as the audience know that she forgot
1: we know that she
0: has had the amnesia
1: but asami's look <laughs> in this moment and like okay
0: Asami's look. Can we also talk about Mako's look at this oh, yeah. moment too? Because you know, Korra's just like, "Oh my god, it's so good to see you!" Like she hugs him, she kisses him, and then you know, it's like, "Oh, well, are you aren't still mad at me?" All right, and she's like, "Oh, why would I be mad?" Okay,
1: question <laughs> here. Okay, if you're Mako, is that your first answer right there? Like you're like, "Oh, I I didn't know you were still. I thought you were still mad at me," and like, no, you just started macking on. Asami, the, the thing should have been like whoa 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 we're broken up, should have been the response, not are you like that's a guy trying to float two girls question. I I
0: I think it's 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 both that, and I think it's also because we see this all throughout. I think this uh, uh, all throughout this season, Mako. He he thinks that he is being nice to Cora by not like giving her the truth or not like getting to that conversation, like in the immediate moment, because he's afraid of hurting her, but it's also incredibly coward cowardly because he is not meeting that himself. He is not like rising to that, but he just, you can see he justifies it in his own head of like, well, she's in this, you know, there's higher stakes. Now we can't talk about this right now. Like that, that's, you know, uh
1: if you're a Sami. In this moment, what are you like? Asami's look says so much. It's like broken up, huh? Hashtag Did you really break up?
0: <laughs>
1: Hashtag Mako the cheater. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> it's like uh, it's you know what this moment is. It's like in um uh, Scott Pilgrim <laughs> when uh, when Knives Chow comes down. Like, <laughs> it's hey, just like wait, I
1: gotta you- go pee on her
0: (laughs) (laughs) well when she cut when knives comes in at the very end of the movie it's just like wait you cheated on me you cheated on us both and it's like that's exactly what it is bako is scott pilgrim in this moment (laughs) but i mean the 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 thing is here is that like mako is justifying it and but again he's not Telling the truth, he is not telling Cora what is up. And when she says, "Like, well, was it a bad fight?" and like, Mako has this expression where he's like,
1: "No." Mm, uh,
0: and he well, first he goes um, and then the camera goes over to the entire crowd and does this slow pan as everyone is just looking at him and watching this. Well,
1: you and you then- know, you know, Asami's watching him like excuse me and you know Bolin's like oh someone about to die and i'm not sure who
0: oh i mean when when cora comes up and embraces him and they have like this kiss Bolin pops up like in the background between the two of them and it's just like what like he's like so confused
1: hold on we're about to see another mover
0: i know right oh my goodness You know, and he says no, and Asami is clearly super pissed. Oh, yeah. But before things can get any more awkward.
1: (laughs) This is the moment you should know that, like, you should sleep maybe with one eye open if you're Mako, because I'm pretty sure Asami coming for you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then Tenzin jumps in and keeps them on task. Uh, Tenzin probably not even being able to read the room at no, all and it's Tenzin, just like, all right, hey, we is, have business we have business to do.
1: Hashtag Tenzin should need to read the room at this point. Hashtag Tenzin read the room because let me tell no, you. No, it's kind, it, it's like, kinda
0: good that he didn't.
1: No, <laughs> he, I think he you read the that
0: situation. Read.
1: He rolls it he rolls Tenzin Tenzin being Tenzin just rolls in and he's like, Okay everybody, <laughs> let me be the peacekeeper here. <laughs> JK Simmons and all.
0: So as Tenzin keeps them on task, they then you know, are like, all right, well, what are we going to do? And Bolin is just like, I think I know someone who can help. And my God, this is, again, why I love Varric so much. We see Varric in prison. And he says, and they're like, this is your prison cell? He's like, Varric Industries built this prison. I built this cell for myself. I had a feeling I'd be here someday.
1: that was the best part he's like oh yeah I was pretty sure I was gonna end up here at some point
0: the own the whole self-awareness of knowing that he was going to eventually end up in prison but making a cell nice enough for himself it is he is he is He is, is playing your, 4D is chess is assistant he's,
1: in there with you I never go anywhere without Jun Lee
0: <laughs> and I love this line how he's like saying he's like hey Hey, what about all the nice things I did? It's like, you know, I told you about Unalak. I told, you know, I made you a mover star. I I saved your company. I threw you in prison. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that was a bad thing. And then they're like, dude, no, you did all these horrible things. You kidnapped the president. And then he says, I wasn't going to hurt him. I just needed him to start a war. (laughs) Because,
1: you know, that's so much better.
0: I never, but he says it in like such sincere honesty like he's like I, I wasn't gonna hurt anybody
1: i just you know needed to make some money wait what
0: oh my god i i just i love this whole scene is just so good and then you know he's like he goes well he goes you know you can use my battleship the julie <laughs> and they're like you named your battleship, battleship after, after your, your assistant, assistant? She's like, she's just like my assistant. Cold, calculating, and a war machine.
1: <laughs> Thank you, sir.
0: It's so good. It's so good. And I mean, like, you know, and they're just like, all right, well, it's story its not line, the fleet we were what, hoping for.
1: Storyline number something here. Jun Lee and Beric. The love yep. story.
0: Yes. Oh, oh, my God. And you know, we, we get as the, the the scene concludes with Mako saying, you know, hey, look, Cora, it's I, I'm sure your your dad is gonna be just fine. Cut to Donrock not being fine. <laughs> as we see the end of the Civil War arc. <laughs> Super
1: awkward.
0: But I'll tell you what though, even though even though the Civil War arc died with uh you know a very underwhelming conclusion at least it does end with this incredibly badass fight between Unalock and Tonrock. This fight is so cool. Uh, you know, we get some incredible water bending animation. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, this fight that's like this back and forth between Unalak and Tonrock. And there's things and then, they
1: do in the fight with the water bending that you didn't, you never think that you would use it that way to fight.
0: Yes. X, and it's just, exactly. it's
1: so amazing. Mm
0: hmm and you know unalak encases him in ice as this final move and like straight up like sub zeros him where he just like encases him in ice and then just like sends a water jet to just like blast him through and he just goes crashing back and it's it's like this finisher move and tanrak is down for the count and (laughs) finish oh my god for real but again there is so much this fight was badass but it was missing the emotional weight yes that that it should have have carried it like the Mm -hmm. fact
1: that he is the little brother the fact that you know the big brother gets to be a little bit like There's just emotional weight that wasn't there and it just, it really sucked.
0: Well, and it's like, and it's also talk about, like, think about some of the most iconic fights in Avatar and in Korra. Think about where they take place and the significance of the space that they take place in. I mean, even something as simple as the the fight in the chase where Azula Zuko and Aang are fighting in this broken down abandoned Earth Kingdom town what that symbolizes to the entirety of like the Fire Nation's influence where everything is with like you know Aang being in an abandoned town how that echoes his own like you know like isolation from having any more of his people around and the fact that Zuko
1: and and Azula and their whole lives are broken because of the way their father has ran their entire family. What was supposed exactly. to be a growing, loving community slash growing, loving family and nurturing really just became a husk of what its former glory was. Like that itself is a reflection of Zuko's whole being as well. And in, in, in childhood and in relationship
0: with Azula. Yeah, and and that's just one fight that I just I mean I I was able to just immediately think well, of and like the other we could one expand is the
1: fire bending the the episode the, this is the other big one that you think about is like Zuko and Azula fighting at the end with Katara oh
0: absolutely Just yeah. so I mean, like,
1: much there as well but like but what these fights have that this fight lacked was the emotional piece. That is what exactly. drew you in as a as a viewer watching it happen from the side. This just didn't have the heart. That these fights, like even the smallest fights, and I'm thinking about the one with the drill in uh Bossing Se when they have the drill mm-hmm. and Azula. It's Kylie Azula and May um, are like bringing the drill and they're trying to drill into the wall, right? And they're trying to break the wall, and Team Avatar is just going around and unhooking all the bolts and stuff like that from the drill, and. Even the fights that happen in there, you still feel emotionally connected to that fight. But there's just no emotional connection here. And that's what kills it. Because this fight, while beautifully animated, gorgeous, while innovative, while just wonderful in terms of a fight sequence, the emotions are what draw us into that fight sequence and make us a part of the fight sequence. And really, otherwise, we're just watching MMA.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I mean, the thing is, too, I mean, like, it, it, we're in a very, like, nondescript street in the Southern Water Tribe. Like, there's nothing special about this. Like, bring us to the, like, the city hall or, like, whatever the point of government is in, like, in the Southern Water Tribe. Bring have us to a place Oodawak, that has this, like, in, insane Oodawak significance. whack him
1: through Torek's house? for gosh sakes, which is the life he built up with his family as he was leaving the southern, northern island. Yes. That, as he shot him with the ice and he had zoomed through his house, would have been the most perfect representation of what has come down. Because as he's going through and he's breaking the walls of his home and he's destroying the life that he has brought to himself and his family, it's like everything that he's known and loved has broken. And for what? And that would have been perfect. We all would have met up in podcasts. We would have talked about that. That would have been something. But this is just in a random street in the Southern Water Tribe.
0: Well, and think about it too this way with Unalak suddenly destroying everything. What if it got to the point where he was this close back and forth? Suddenly it's like expanding out to the rest of the city lock destroying parts of this he is seeing like maybe we're like the housing or things and like where he's put the is northern doing water tribe things
1: to try and protect the houses and trying to yes. protect the city and trying to draw it out from the city maybe or something but like none of that none
0: yeah but you see that and like how cool would it would have been as while he's doing that you see the expressions of the northern water tribe seeing unalak in this reckless vengeful state consumed by like the this influence that vatu has had on him it, it is so much of why you know so many people have an issue with this season and why i think that now that we've gone back and done this deeper dive into it we're not even at the end of the season but we're clearly at the end of this arc and how it really does feel like we just we missed we missed out on so much that could have been well without without going too deep into all different kinds of rabbit holes here what what are some of your what are some of your final thoughts here on this episode
1: we got a lot of storylines i'm still trying to count the number that we were trying to <laughs> up here um hashtag <laughs> uh asami read the room is probably a good one here yeah um but I also think you know, this is for what it's worth. It's not it's not my favorite episode, but it is a great episode in terms of just the level of things that are told within the episode and how we get the plot moving and Bolin having a moment to shine. Mm. Because I've always been Team Bolin. I love Bolin, so I've always like literally. Colin could tell you the minute we met Bolin. I was like sending him memes about how much I love Bolin yes because i just i love <laughs> Bolin so hard um and and it's hard for me because i go back and forth on these episodes and i think to myself like you know it, it's it's hard for a show where there's a woman who's the avatar to i feel like at times express that same level that we were we were hoping she would have that strength preserved just like with male avatars but it, it in terms of the episode itself, it's a great episode. It captures everything. You get a lot of good stuff. Varric ends up in jail, but for some reason we found out he has another warship called the Lee. they're going to take down to help the Southern Water Tribe. Uh, you know, we get we get movers. We get, you know, hashtag Rike of the Miniature. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you still have downfalls that we've talked about all season, which is the characters just not feeling enough like who they were and you know, the team really not missing the team. Yeah. That'll be established in season one. And I know that the characters are supposed to be going through these emotional, turbulent, triumphal times. And we're supposed to accept the fact that there are some things occurring that obviously have led them this way. But, you know, I still have my, my, I don't know. I always feel like, like part of me always felt really sad because I love these characters and I hate seeing them. Not feel like themselves, but at the same time, I love this episode just play for the things that do occur that are indicative of well, that was awkward. I went to a movie premiere, but the director tried to have me kidnapped. Awkward.
0: <laughs> hey, you just think about those. You think about Bolin ripping those sleeves off, and then you're just you're you're there. And you his go. Mm, <laughs> the <himbo. laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Bolin. <laughs> Bolin gets uh. the
1: girl. Yeah, that's that was actually what sa- lo- I loved about this episode is that Bolin got the girl. Yeah, that did. That saved it for me because I'm like Bolin.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. There's some really high highs in this episode. And there's some really low lows. Um, and I think that it still comes out to I still had fun watching it as I do with all of these. Um, but like, I the watching that sequence of Bolin like fighting through the arena while the mover is happening at the same time that is peak like Cora. that is peak Cora for me right there i i i love i love that oh man all right well guys thank you i think that is gonna wrap up today's episode we went wow we are over two hours today this is insane um, you know, we had a lot of fair, feelings, we, got off on tangents. I mean, we had a of lot things. of thoughts, you know, we also haven't talked in a while, so this is what happens. We, we, we have a lot that's pent up in terms of our discussion of Cora and just these overall feelings in general. We just, we just had to let them out. Um, so we, we appreciate and we you have, guys we've, listening we a lot
1: in. going on too, with all the news <laughs> we were getting and, and, and the fact that the, we, we have people we want to cast and mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Yeah it's it's a lot of exciting stuff and i had, I had a thought really though uh
1: dante bosco should possibly play uh fire lord ozai
0: he's old he's the
1: right age
0: Ooh. that would kind of be that, so that would dope. complete
1: the trifecta wouldn't it For
0: it him? would it would he would play the father the son and the grandson
1: <laughs> i saw where you were going with that Yeah,
0: yeah 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 <laughs> Um, but yeah, guys, uh, be sure uh, to uh of course if you listen in uh be sure to check us out on all those social medias. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Legend of Portalcast. We're on Twitter at Portalcast Pod. You can find our website, Legend of where you can listen into these episodes. Uh you can also listen in through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good, good podcast listening programs and softwares and such. Yes. Yes, we also have a Twitch account, Legend of Portalcast. Yes, uh, but uh, Susan, thank you so much for joining me today and for no, the you. wonderful discussion.
1: I, I, I hope, I hope, uh, you know, we're going to be we're going to be good to have that book two finale discussion yes. and and hopefully we'll get some more news. And uh, I think by then, in theory, we should have the first podcast from Dante Bosco and Janet Barney.
0: Absolutely. So we'll be able
1: to kind of. Give thoughts on that in some point in June or July, and yeah, there's gonna be a lot to talk about. I think in the next month or here. So, and then eventually we should we should get that one
0: shot. Ooh, yes, yes, absolutely, yes, please. So, um,
1: um, I think I think I I think I might um I might DM the one shot.
0: Yes, please. Let's do it. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> I've been I've been thinking about it for a while and I've been thinking about DMing the one shot. So
0: Yes. If any Love it
1: so we just gotta get players.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in. The support as always, um, and for of course uh sticking with us. We are so, so glad to have you here. And if you'd like to join us for that conversation. You can find a link in the show notes or on our website to our Discord. You can join the conversation and all kinds of good stuff. We always post any kind of news updates there as well. Um and uh hopefully I'd say in about a couple weeks we are going to be getting Kevin back in the cast. He is he is taking care of his wee his wee bairn, his wee child and uh ooh, we just ooh. wish him the best
1: maybe maybe that's why we should tell janet varney and and dante bosco to fight for who comes on the show first because then we can determine <laughs> if she's a waterbender or if the wee baron is a wa- firebender, or a water
0: yes yes oh my goodness
1: <laughs> that, i have to run it by kevin if we can clear it that way but i think uh you know yeah the bending the bending of the child could be dependent on who comes on the show first or
0: or who knows we can present the child with a bunch of toys and see if they pick out the right ones and see if they're the avatar that is also a hundred percent possible uh all right friends well thank you so much again for tuning in uh be sure to uh check us out we'll be back in two weeks with our next episode and until then and until next time (sighs) let us leave